Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. Hey, we are David and Tracy Sellers. And like you, we've made vows to keep. Some of us still remember the day our kids got married, and while we wanted to be happy, what we really felt was this sort of rejection, a replacement of a role that we as the dad or mom had had for the last 18 years. In part one of this two-part series, I use the analogy of a medication we know we have to take. And we go out and Google the side effects of this medication. Oh, oh, this is terrible. Vomiting, diarrhea. Oh, we don't want this. We're just hoping and praying that we're not one of the people who gets any combination of the 38 tragedies listed in the fine print. That could be the newly married young man who's now just doubled his family and realized, oh man, I have a mother-in-law now. Or the parents who see this new controlling force in their adult children's life. If the word in-law is in the name, the relationship is bound to be tricky. We're so glad you joined us here on Vows to Keep Radio for the second half of this broadcast. The do's and the don'ts for married couples and the parents who struggle to love us. If you were with us last time, you know we talked about how married couples need to approach their in-laws with respect to the biblical directives found in Genesis and in Matthew. And if you missed that last broadcast, we would definitely encourage you to go to our website, vowstokeep.com, and click the link to listen. Now, today's show looks at the other side of the coin. We're going to empathize with the parent-in-laws today who want to support and respect the covenant that their adult children have made to their spouse. It's those of us who want to align with God's word, and yet we've got this experience that we know if we share with our married children, it could end up being divisive. So how do we balance that desire to help with a biblical truth, knowing that no relationship other than a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior should be more important in their marriage than their spouse? Today's show is for those parents-in-laws who are in the thick of it. You've got a painful road too, and at the heart of it, I know you want to do what's best for your kids' marriage. We want to help you to help your children's marriages be blessed. And Trace, because I feel like we're going to be saying son-in-law and daughter-in-law a lot, and most of our points apply to both, from here forward, I think we should just call them kiddo-in-laws. Yeah, even though they're probably not kids anymore. Right. I I suppose we can't call them adult-in-laws because that would just get very confusing. But you know who we're talking about. The person your child is married to. No reference to their maturity or lack thereof, all right? To those listening right now whose children are still in diapers or whose children are in school and haven't left the nest yet, you're not off the hook just yet. We actually really encourage you to stay tuned also. This might help you to see things from your in-law's perspective. And in listening, we hope that you can begin creating a godly mindset and a biblical foundation for your future role as an in-law. Losing control is a scary thing for most of us as parents. I remember the days of warning our kids, hey, that stove is hot. And then teaching my daughters and son how to ride a bike. And then teaching them like complicated things like how to drive. You're in the passenger seat. And it works because the Bible lays out this foundation between children and parents and says that children should submit to their parents. We can find this in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3. So I say, stop. And they do it, right? Most of the time, anyhow. And for 18 years, this has been an expectation for me as a parent. I say, do this, you do it. 
It all starts going sideways when our kid starts college and says, hey, mom, I'm an adult now, as if this commandment doesn't apply to them anymore. So when does a child actually become an adult, fully independent of his parents' control? There are a lot of cultural norms out there. In fact, I was amazed when I was doing some research on this. In the Jewish tradition, a boy is considered a man at 13. I think I was pretty far away from that at 13. In America, the law says that at 18, they are separate. Truly, though, it's the individual maturity level that impacts this journey. But the basic biblical idea is really the same. We find this in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. It says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. The point is that we as parents have a season to help our kids grow up. And while we won't ever stop being their parents, we do have to recognize that at some point, they've got to be accountable for themselves. In our current American culture, most parents and most kids are resisting this separation. The impacts are trickling down to millennial and Gen Z marriages. Our culture has driven parents to focus on their work, on almost everything but the heart of the home. Our culture has driven parents to give in to the norms which create digitally engaged kids and eventually emotionally and relationally disconnected adults. And that's really shame on us as parents. We're shorty in the next generation. And they're without strong motivation to see the value that God has placed on their lives. As parents, we have to see the pressure is on to shape that next generation, and we have a limited season to do it in. I think so many of us have lost that sense of urgency as parents. So now comes the day that our child comes home and announces, hey, I'm getting married. And we go through the feelings of excitement, a little bit of fear, and then panic. Because we see, hey, there is still room for them to grow. Did I actually do my job? Surely now is not the time to stop parenting. But the Bible makes it clear that once a child becomes an adult, and for sure by the time they enter into marriage, your parent-child relationship must change. Your child is to be your peer in the body of Christ instead of a dependent on you. Your child needs to be positioned for 100% self-responsibility, accountable to a higher authority than you, the authority of God. At this point, his personal decisions must be based on something more than a matter of just simply submitting to mom and dad's rules. Okay, cool, David and Tracy, I hear you. That's the ideal, but I'm not there, you're saying. My kids are making foolish decisions right before my eyes. So the challenge to you is, are you throwing pearls to swine? What did Jesus mean when he said that? To not cast our pearls before swine in Matthew chapter 7. The command to not cast our pearls to swine doesn't mean that we're going to pull back teaching by living the application of the gospel. That's exactly what Jesus does. He, he goes and eats and teaches with the sinners and the tax collectors. But pigs don't appreciate pearls, and some people don't appreciate what Christ has done for them. We want to share the applicable truth of the gospel, but when it becomes apparent that the Bible and its truth is not welcome, we shouldn't assume that we understand that we know their spiritual condition. Too often, as an in-law, we assume that we need to disciple, when in reality, we may need to evangelize. We're not responsible for our adult kids' response. We are asked to not leave them in the darkness of sin. When we have toddlers and teens, we're to teach them a model for how to apply God's word and how to address their own sin. Our job is not to force conversions. There's no sense in preaching the value of pearls to swine. 
What I've come to learn is that sometimes the school of hard knocks is more effective than my words as a parent could ever be at showing God's wisdom. Now, none of this means that your adult children have the right to treat you poorly, but there is this fine line that you need to be attentive to as well about how you need to treat others. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Bible saying there's no justification for treating another person with disrespect. And this binds both sides of this relationship. As your peer, your adult child remains under an obligation to submit not to you as parents, but as fellow human beings and as a brother and sister in Christ. Here's a caution, though. This isn't licensed to throw your opinion around. So many mother and father-in-laws state their opinion about a house purchase or a paint color or a job change, typically when there's not really a biblical implication at play. You like a ranch house and your newly married adult children? Well, they're looking at a split level. Do you share your experience? Do you offer your opinion? Can I ask you to not unless your opinion is actually requested from them? You see, God gives us some really important direction in 1 Corinthians 4.14. It says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. You see, honor doesn't mean that an adult child has to do what his parent asks. Admonish means to warn someone of something to be avoided. We need to save that for the moments where it's going to be God who's offended, not us. Don't burn through any goodwill that you might have with your kids and kid-in-laws by shaming them to try to force their hands to the opinions of you. I want to speak to my fellow ladies here because right or wrong, the mother-in-law seems to have the reputation with the worst rapport. What should this mother-in-law picture look like? Most women would describe the relationship they have with their daughter-in-law as fragile or tense, even competitive. Daughter-in-laws complain about their mother-in-laws. Mother-in-laws complain about their son-in-laws. And one set of in-laws complains about the other set. We've got all that potential drama in the story we find in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Let's look at it for just a minute here. Naomi and Elimelech and their two sons, they live in a land where there's a famine, and then they move to Moab. And this is the part of the story I don't like. After the move, we read in Ruth 1.3, Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Hard times. Well, those two sons married Moabite women. The one we care about today is our daughter-in-law hero named Ruth. Now about 10 years goes by, and both of Naomi's sons die. Her family tree just lost its branches. She's left without her husband. She doesn't have her two sons anymore. She's got two daughter-in-laws for her family. In verse 8, Naomi tells them, go back to your mother's home and may the Lord grant that each of you find rest in the home of another husband. So the quote-unquote normalish daughter-in-law in in verse 14 heeds that advice. She kisses her mother-in-law goodbye. She heads back home, starts over. Ruth, the other one, says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And here's the most important part. Your God will be my God. We ladies often dream about a committed daughter-in-law like Ruth, but here's what I don't want you to miss today. Naomi's unselfish quest as a mother-in-law to send those girls off for a new start initiated a commitment that was mutual. As much as we want good relationships with our kid-in-laws, like we see in the case of Naomi and Ruth, many parent-in-laws don't understand their role that's depicted in Genesis 2.24 that says a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife. We miss our responsibility in this equation and put it all on the shoulder of the kids to withdraw. 
This verse says that in the new union formed by marriage, this new couple is to forsake dependence upon, to leave behind, to release, to let go of the ties that they once had to their parents. It sounds like it's on the kids. So what does it have to do with being a parent-in-law? Absolutely everything. Everything. Imagine if your commitment to this edict was as strong as theirs should be. Your job is to let them do what they're biblically directed to do. And to do that well, they need your eyes to be on the long-term prize of their marriage being godly, not on you and your expectations. And when you try and resist that separation, when you simply lengthen the apron strings rather than handing your child the scissors to cut them with, you become an obstacle to that unity. In Matthew 19, Jesus is actually quoting Genesis 2.24, and then he says, Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. That category of people that have the potential at destroying what God has put together definitely could include you if you are not faithful to let go. So do you understand the way that God designed the family and the extended family? I mean, I think it helps us to lean into the sovereignty of our almighty God, knowing that we can trust him with our children. Just like we did the first day of kindergarten, the first time they rode their bike down the street without us there, or the first time they drove themselves to school. When our kids get married, we're 100% asked to entrust our children into the Heavenly Father's capable hands. But they aren't experienced. So what if they're rushing in? How do I know that they're actually following God? These are all the questions we wrestle with. But I want to challenge you with this. Do you actually need to know the answers to those questions to do your part after that marriage is sealed? It may seem to you that God is just upstairs ignoring this new union. But what if it's part of his plan to let hardship bring them right back to him? That young man your little girl pledged her life to is God's work in progress. God has had his hand on him since the moment he was conceived and he hasn't left him alone for one moment. God is shaping him through his life experiences and God will continue to shape him through all the ones he will now experience with your daughter. Do you trust what God might be doing? When you release your children into the care of their spouse and the care of a faithful God, you're giving them a leg up and creating a healthy family of their own. Parent-in-laws who horn their way into this new union cripple that bond between a husband and a wife as it's forming. The Bible says you've got to let your kids make that break from you, sever their dependence on you, both emotionally and financially. And as time passes, can I ask you to be diligent to prevent reestablishment of that dependence at those critical junctures in our kids' marriages? You see, this leaving and cleaving thing is not a one-time event. It's not limited to the early years of your kid's marriage. Things can get blurry when grandchildren come along. And most grandparents, for all the right reasons, want to be involved as their kids raise kids. This is awesome. Grandparents investing in their grandchildren, mentoring them. But here's where it can get into some very dangerous territory. If our kids shift into neutral and just watch as we as grandparents lean in, take too much leadership what we can actually do is enable our kids to fail as parents. We're going to close today here on Vows to Keep Radio. Some really practical points you can put into action today. And they all start with the letter A, so it should be easy to remember. Attitude, ask, abstain, affirm, accept, and allow. That first one's a biggie, attitude. Yeah, it can be so tempting to let your emotions over losing your position in your kids' life send you into a defensive position every time 
your daughter-in-law or son-in-law is mentioned. You're fighting God's design. You're not being replaced. This bad attitude can actually create an environment of discord that's going to keep your son-in-law or daughter-in-law at arm's length from you for a very long time. Attitudes escalate problems. Even if you think you're keeping this bad attitude hidden, it's probably actually coming through a lot clearer than you realize. And I can't tell you how sad it's been to watch parent couples who sit in the background and they hope that their daughter or their son-in-law are going to fail in their marriage to prove that they were right. This attitude speaks volumes and blocks the relationship that you could actually have in furthering their marriage to be a God-honoring one. That attitude one is something we've got to get right before God with. And I love this next one, though, because it's something we can start doing right now. Ask. Ask your kids and ask God. Ask good questions of your kin-in-law shows that you've got a heart for them, that you want to dig deeper than the surface, what's going on just in the circumstances of their life. Ask your daughter-in-law to let you know when you've offended her. Ask your son-in-law the best way you can help his relationship with his wife and his kids because you care so much. Through prayer, ask God to protect that marriage. Ask God to bless your daughter-in-law with wisdom on how to run a household, to lift your son-in-law and daughter up before the Lord. Asking God to bless the unity in their marriage, to help them be wise in their finances, to help them set life goals that line up with how God has spiritually gifted them, to give them patience as they raise their children and to give them great mentorship all around them. Next, something that can be difficult for us as parent-in-laws, and that is to abstain. James 1.17 says to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And that's a tall order for us as parent-in-laws, abstaining from anger, abstaining from giving advice unless you're actually asked. Restraint is not easy. And there's so much wisdom in this verse to be quick to encourage and slow to question, slow to criticize. And if you manage this correctly and you live a God-honoring life, your daughter, your son-in-law, they might just come and solicit that advice from you. What an honor that is. When you abstain early on for the greater opportunity that will come later on, we don't have to watch out for pearls being ignored by pigs. It's a beautiful picture. This takes us to our next element, to affirm. Make an effort to applaud, to praise, and thank your kiddo-in-law. It's going to mean so much to them. Tell him how much you appreciate he's having a positive influence on your daughter or why you think he's a good father to your grandchildren. Write your daughter-in-law a letter telling her how much you appreciate her and how you love having her as part of the family. If things have been tense, this type of affirmation can go a long way in repairing old wounds. Just like it says in Ephesians 4.13, let's affirm by speaking the truth in love. Next, accept your kid-in-law. Do not try to change her or him into who you'd like them to be. A good-in-law doesn't give the impression that she wishes that her goofball kid would have made a better choice in a spouse. A good parent loves with a Christ-like calling for this new member of the family. And don't be offended if your daughter-in-law doesn't share your taste and dreams. And the final element for a God-honoring in-law relationship is to allow your son and daughter-in-law to make mistakes and to be forced to lean on God. This is a tough one because we've got to have the maturity and the personal experience to know that if they're making a decision that's a mistake, it's going to be a great learning opportunity for them that God can redeem. 
Also, allow your new kid-in-law to take their God-given role in your child's life. Don't jockey for position in your son's new marriage. Allow him to place his marriage in the proper priority position in his life. A loving parent wants their child to have a healthy marriage. Stop enabling poor decisions by bailing out grown adult kids. Problems propel us back to God, and that's such an important lesson. Experience is a good teacher, and God is more in control than you and I could ever be. Parents of grown kids these days often seem to prefer that dependency back on us. What we've got to avoid is the helicopter-in-law who parachutes in too fast to take control of a situation that's not theirs. Underneath our enthusiasm to control our kids' lives, we reveal our assumptions about how God has empowered us. And that's a sketchy two-way street in the worst part of town. God has plans for our relationships with our kid-in-laws that go so far beyond what we can even think of. He's wise, he's gracious, and he wants to teach us how to navigate through this with his grace and his wisdom. Take the initiative to connect with your kiddo-in-law, but don't let yourself become the no-boundries-in-law or the control freak-in-law. If you're the parent with married children, don't be the gossiper-in-law either. You might know all the dirt on your kid's spouse. Oversharers tell others information that's inappropriate and embarrassing for your kiddo-in-law to hear back through the grapevine. It's short-sighted and it's a sin. We'd also advise you not to be the strings-attached-in-law. Many in-laws resort to manipulation, and so do kid-in-laws, to get what they want. It's a give-and-take deal without any foreknowledge. No favor is a favor with this kind of person. It's a bargaining chip for when they need something from you. Few things will turn an in-law relationship cold like this. People who attach strings to kind deeds don't really believe others will love them unless they have to. It's like they think that bribery might sustain the relationship. It won't. Letting go of our children into the hands of a marriage is a struggle for all parents. We've invested nearly 20 years of our lives raising, nurturing, and caring for this child. Being a parent has consumed our time, our energy, our love. It can be very debilitating for us when that part of our lives comes to an end. It's like one of my main missions for life has been terminated. Now we have to struggle to find an appropriate balance of love and concern for our kids and their marriage while resisting the impulse to continue to control. Biblically, we know that God takes this role of a parent very seriously. There's admonitions of good parenting all over scripture. At the heart of the difficulty of letting go of our children is a certain amount of fear. For the Christian parent and parent-in-law, this is where your faith enters the picture. Maybe nothing is more testing of our faith than the time that our children begin to break the bonds they've held with us so closely and form them with someone new. Releasing your child into marriage doesn't mean that you're turning them loose into the world to fend for themselves. It means that you're turning them over to a heavenly father who loves them more than you ever could. He's loaned them to us for a season. The more faith that we have in God, the less fear we have, the more joy we have. As with so many things in the Christian life, the ability to do this depends on how well we know our God. When parents let go of their adult children and they release them into a marriage, they often find a stronger and more fulfilling relationship than they could have ever imagined. In closing, having a good relationship with your in-laws is important to not letting it progress to outlaws. No matter what their imperfections are, you need to be thankful to them and know 
that God will use them in your life. We hope that today's show has challenged and equipped you with the do's and don'ts for married couples and the parents who struggle to love us. Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.